For many people around the world, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is all too familiar. We hear the stories and watch the news reports, but the reality that lies beneath the surface is far different than many imagine. Bethlehem is among the most predominantly Christian cities in the Arab world. Generations of believers have inhabited this land for hundreds of years, yet decades of spiritual attrition have seen this remnant wane to a mere 8% throughout the West Bank. Roughly 120,000 people live in this area, nearly half of whom are children. But, due to the extreme restrictions enforced as a result of years of conflict, many of these children will never leave the six-mile radius of their city. Leaving this generation to face a myriad of challenges handed down to them by their forefathers. But, the Jerusalem School of Bethlehem exists to provide hope. Here, students and families find refuge through opportunity and higher learning. It begins with a foundation in an English education from American teachers. This is unique to schools in this part of the world and affords students here opportunities that others simply do not have. It is an influx of new ideas, ways of thinking, and futures to imagine. An education at JSB is among the best in the world. In fact, it is internationally accredited. But what happens here goes beyond books and Bible studies. It's bigger than philosophies and equations. What happens here is measured by depth of relationship and is reflected through a sense of community and a feeling of family. Teachers meet students right where they are, in the heart of culture, doing life together, shaping their futures, and making an impact that can only be measured by hours spent in the relationship. It is the planting and watering of seeds that will produce fruit for generations to come. It is the shaping and nurturing of an entire person. It is the empowerment of an overlooked generation and the creation of a lifelong follower of Jesus. It is an investment in the kingdom of God, empowering the church to impact the Muslim world, to disciple believers, change hearts, and allow a seed of redemption and peace that was planted long ago to flourish once again. These are the leaders of communities, the instigators of change, and the carriers of a message of hope that will be delivered throughout the globe. This is JSB, changing the world one life at a time. The Holy Land is the center of everything. You understand that? It is the center of history, the center of what God has done in the world and through Jesus and, and from the beginning. And all those children that you saw are Arab children that are learning daily about Jesus Christ through this school in Bethlehem. I mean, come on. It doesn't get any more amazing than that and more powerful than that. These kids are going to this school, and today we have a special treat. The director, the, uh, the founder of this, of this school, the, the, the principal of this school, 
is with us today, Jameson Creel. He's going to be coming in just a moment, and we're going to welcome him warmly. But he also was our guide a few, a couple of months ago for the team that left here and went to Israel. He's an expert in the Middle East and in history, and he blew our minds. Every place we went, he opened up the Word of God to us, and here we were sitting in those places, and he just... He wasn't just giving history, he was, he was, he was giving his life and, and the word of God came alive to us. And I know that's what's going to happen today. Would you give Jameson Creel a warm welcome this morning as he comes? Thank you. All right. Good morning. Oh, wow, y'all are awake for the early service. I'm impressed. Um, Listen, this, this is my first time here. I'm so excited. We had so much fun back in, was it March, April, y'all, y'all came out? Man, we had a good time, went all over the country, saw a bunch of stuff, you know, and bonded, man. You guys did a great job ministering to our kids. We, we had church services together. The whole thing was just wonderful. And so I'm just excited to be here and maybe get to pay back a little. Um, I'm not, I don't want to talk too much about the school, just quickly so you'll know. We're going to have about 740 kids next year, and it is our absolute everything we do, everything. We're going to talk about Peter today, and one of the the cool things about Peter is when you read through his sermons, if you actually read them out loud, what you find out is he says Jesus within about 10 seconds of every sermon start, okay? He he gets to Jesus quick, and that's what we, we want to be about too. We want to be about Jesus like all the time. And so even if we're teaching history, English, whatever we're teaching, like it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about like, I want the kids to learn math. Okay. I, I want them to do that. This can help in this world. But the, what, everything we're about is about introducing kids to Jesus Christ and Bible classes and Bible studies and everything we do just, just to point them at Jesus Christ. And it's a remarkable opportunity because we get them as three-year-olds. We have K3 and they graduate when they're 18, we have 15 years to just totally overhaul their lives. And it's awesome. And, and we're, the fruit we're seeing is amazing. We're seeing, we're seeing kids that we won win other kids. And that's like, to me, that's sort of like an end game as a discipler. You want your disciples to start making disciples. And, and there's so much going on that's just like really cool. So we're, we're just, I'm so happy that y'all decided to be a little bit of a part of our family. And I just want to kind of jump into the word. I want to follow Peter's example. We're talking about him today. And what I wanted to do is sort of uh, pretend that we're, you know, you guys didn't all get to come on the tour, but if you had come on the tour, you would have gone with me to a, to a place called, and we'll figure it out later, called St. Peter in Gallicantu. So that's a, that's a big name. Uh, it means in Latin, St. Peter and the Crowing Rooster, because it's a place that commemorates a, a failure. And so we're going to talk about two chapters in the Bible, really. We're going to talk about Matthew 26, where Peter fails over and over and over again. Then we're going to look at Acts 4, where he does a little bit better. And we're going to try to figure out the difference real quick. And all of this centers around a place in Jerusalem, which was the court, the Sanhedrin, the house of Caiaphas, which is where Jesus was tried. Okay? Sort of the center of this drama. And what I want, but so to set the background, we have to think about Peter and the night that Jesus was arrested and how he, this was a night of failure for Peter repeated over and over again, deep level failure. Okay. So let's, let's go through it. First off at the, at the Lord's supper, 
you know, Jesus pipes up and says, you know, the, 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 I'm going to be struck and you're all going to flee. And Peter says, yeah, they may go, but not me. And okay. So first off is anytime you're contradicting Jesus is probably a bad idea. Okay. So this is probably failure. Number one, it's a failure of pride. He thinks he's special. Jesus says, look, man, I, I'm, something bad's going to happen to me tonight. And you guys are all going to run off. And Peter says, I'm better than these guys. And anytime you think you're, anytime you're prideful, you can't be taught and, and you got problems coming. And, and so, and so Jesus looks back at him and says, before the rooster crows three times or before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times or before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And, and Peter says, even if I die, I won't leave you. And Jesus says, okay, we'll see. And so, and so they go out into the night. And if you go there in person where, where the upper room is, is on a hill. And you have to go down into a very deep valley. It's very mountainous. And you cross the Kidron Valley. And you go over onto the Mount of Olives. It's another pretty large mountain across the way. Probably about a 30, 45 minute walk for these guys. Maybe a little longer than that. And they would have walked together. And Jesus' heart was heavy to the point of breaking. And they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And a, a drama plays out there that's unlike anything else in history, I believe. Because Jesus gets there. And this is what it says in Matthew. This is Matthew 26. 36 through 46. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, the first thing you have to know is Gethsemane means place of crushing. It, was, it would have been an olive grove, and they would have crushed olives there to make olive oil. Why it was named that. But it was also pretty symbolically important because this is where Jesus Christ himself would go to be crushed and to have his will broken down because he didn't want to go to the cross. He agonizes and prays for hours. He's like, God, please don't do this to me. Please, let's find another way. You know, to the point he's sweating. It says the Bible says he sweats like drops of blood. He's, he, he's agonizing. Okay, it's the most difficult moment of his entire eternal existence is probably this moment in the garden. And, and something radical and different takes place there than any other time. Because <clears throat> you got to think of Peter. Peter had known Jesus for over three years at this point. And for three years, Jesus had taken care of all of his needs. Jesus fed him, sometimes miraculously. You know, sometimes Jesus started tearing some bread and just kept tearing until he had, you know, 20,000 fish sandwiches, you know. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, they had a storm and, and Jesus like just looked up at the waves and the wind and said, hey, that's enough, peace. And the storm just stopped, saved his life. Peter one time had his, his mother-in-law was sick unto death. And Jesus walks in the house and says, hey, come on, get up. You're fine. And, and just for three years, he had been, Jesus had been the rock, not Peter. And Jesus had cared for him and taken care of him and met his needs and cast out demons and, and, and healed people. And, and Peter had seen every minute of it. And any time he had a problem, he could be like, hey, Jesus, help me out. And Jesus did. But on this night, something really strange happens. Because Jesus is in so much turmoil himself. He's, he's hurting so bad. He's God. And he looks at these three men that are closest to him, Peter, James, and John, and says, will you come and pray with me? Would you pray for me? That's almost weird to think about. It's, it's God asking for their prayers. But, but he's hurting. And for one time, for one time in the entire relationship, Jesus says, could you help bear me up a little? 
And you know what they did? Jesus draws away a little bit to pray. He goes back and they're asleep. And he says, hey, guys, come on. I'm dying here. Can you, can you help me a little bit? Can you, can you pray with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes back. They go out. And then he comes back the third time and, and then he's arrested. And, and so, so Peter's dropped the ball again. You know, he argued with him at the, at the, at the Lord's Supper. You said, oh, man, I'll hang with you. And then he goes and he, and he doesn't even stay awake for a couple hours. And then the soldiers show up and they're arresting Jesus. And, and just like Jesus said, he's taken and everyone runs off. Now, now think about this. We, 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 we really criticize Peter, but I'd like to, to just, you know, let's be honest with it. There were 12 disciples, right? Okay, if you're going to rank disciples, Judas is the loser because he's, you know, I mean, he's, he's in 12th place. He's, you know, he's, he's bad. He, he betrayed so he's out. John is in first place because John actually does go all the way to the cross. John is present at the cross with Jesus. Then you've got everybody else, the other nine, who all fled off into the night. The Bible says one of them ran off naked into the night. Apparently a soldier tried to grab him, and he just shimmied out of his clothes and just took off. He's like, I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm not getting arrested. He ran off. Peter kind of comes in second place. And what the Bible says is that he followed at a distance. In other words, he, he didn't want to get arrested, but he knew he had made this stand. I'll never leave you. So he's like, I, I, I don't want to leave, but I, I don't know what to do. And, and so instead of running off, he kind of hides behind a bush. And they're taking Jesus to the court. And, 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 he, and then he hides behind a rock. And he, he stays within sight, and he follows kind of hiding in the shadows. And Jesus is taken into what's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish Supreme Court. And this court had the power of life and death. Okay? If they said, we want this guy stoned, crucified. Now, the Romans had to kind of sign off and agree to it, but they generally did, which they did with Jesus' case, right? They said, we want him dead. Pilate was like, what for? And they said, just because. And he said, okay, whatever. You know, and that's pretty much how it goes if you read the story. And, and they, you know, the Romans would go with them. They had the power of life and death. They could kill you. They could torture you. They could, they could beat you. They could seize your land. Okay, they, they could enslave you, they could take your children even. They had incredible power. And, and, and so it was justified to be terrified. And Jesus is hauled in there. And, and what's going on is not just and it's not right. They're bringing false witnesses. They're lying. They're, they're making accusations that are unjust. They're, they're hitting him. They're abusing him already. He's not even convicted. And Peter does not have the courage to go in. And so he hangs out in the courtyard outside where he can kind of look in from time to time, peek around a corner, look over a ledge. You know, the Bible says at one point they make eye contact, right? So we can kind of see a little bit. And this is how it goes. This is later in Matthew 26. It says, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Skip down a little bit. It says, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know who you're talking about. That's the first denial. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him. And he said to the people here, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he, meaning Peter, denied it again with an oath. So in other words, the first time he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. The second time he says, there's an oath, so I, I promise or I swear. You know, I don't know him. 
And then a third one comes along. It says, after a little while, those standing there went to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And it says he began to call down curses. So this time he uses bad language. Okay, think football coach at this point, you know. You know, if there are any football coaches, I'm sorry. If you, you know, but, you know, blank, blank, whatever. I don't know him. You know, it's bad language. He's calling down curses. He's swearing. Okay, I don't know him. And the Bible says this. It says, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times and he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if any of you guys are like me. I'm guessing most of you are and have ever failed big time. Never just blown it. Okay, you've ever, made, you've ever been like Peter and said, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and then you didn't. Or, you know, you ever had a situation in your life and you're like, I'm not going to mess up that anymore. I'm going to get this right this time. And, and, you, and, you, and you just keep failing. But that's kind of Peter. Peter's always just saying dumb stuff, and he's always messing up. And, and he's, a, he's kind of a repeat offender as a failure. Okay? And, and I relate to that. I mean, I get that. And I, I want you all to see something. I got a picture I brought for you guys. I actually pulled it off the Internet this morning. All right, so this is the place we're talking about. This is the, you know, for those of you who are on the tour, we went there. So this is, this is there's a church over to the right of this statue and it's called, again, St. Peter Gallicantu, which means St. Peter and the Crowing Rooster. Okay, Now, what you see here, it's in the place where most likely these events took place. This is basically where the Sanhedrin met, is where you know this church is and where this statue is. And you see, what you can see is you see Peter, well, there's, there's a little girl, and there's the fire, and the girl's like, do you know Jesus? And, and, and Peter's like, no, I don't know him. You can kind of see him taking his hands. At the bottom in Latin, it says, no novi illum, which means I don't know him. And then the kicker is at the top of the pole there is the rooster, and he's ready to crow, right? Now, I want you guys to think about this. You know you have failed monumentally when 2,000 years later there is a statue on the location, okay? Like, however, however much you have messed up in your life, I hope no one has built a statue of it anywhere, okay? So this is an epic, big failure, top class Okay, and what can happen in our lives is, is we have a moment like that and we think it's over. Like, I can't be redeemed. This can't be fixed. I've failed too much this time. I'm done. And we can want to just cash it. You just just cash it and just quit. Just kind of roll over. I'm, I'm out. And, and what's cool is in Peter's life, this is not the case, because I want us to flip over now to Acts four. And in Acts four, you have the exact same man. And what happened, I don't have time to do all of it, but in Acts 3, Peter and John had, were on their way into the temple to worship. And they saw a lame man, and he asked them for some money. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. And, and, and they told him, rise and walk. And they healed the man. And he had been lame for 40 years, sat at that gate begging every day. All the people of Jerusalem knew him because they saw him every time they passed in and out of the temple. 
And all of a sudden he goes jumping and twirling and dancing for the first time in his life on legs that now work that had never worked before. And he's, he's in the temple. And of course, Peter and John are going to take the opportunity to preach because come on, you know, who wouldn't? And, and so they go in and they're like, Jesus did this. Jesus, you crucified. And they're, and they're preaching. And the Bible says that thousands of people all saw it. And they became believers on that day, like 5,000, I think it says. Or just, bam, okay, we're in. And what happens is these same bad guys that killed Jesus don't like it. Okay? You know, what you have to know is this world does not like Jesus. Okay? And everything... And you're going to see it in Acts 4. Everything that's going on is about basically shutting you up. Okay? Your failures are trying to make you feel like I'm not qualified to talk about Jesus. The world is trying to scare you into not talking about Jesus. Everything is about making you not want to share his name. Okay? And and we have to. We have have the, the cure to cancer. It's even better than the cure to cancer. We have the cure to eternal death. And we have to share. We have to. And so, and so everything is about making you be quiet and making you shut up and you can't. And so Peter is preaching and these guys, they go and arrest him. And this is what it says. Um, it says in Acts 4, 5 through 7, it says the next day, so they, they were arrested. Well, Acts 4, 2 says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So get that. They don't care if people get healed. You can teach and serve and do all the stuff, good stuff you want to. Just don't talk about Jesus. Okay? And then Acts 4, 5 through 7 says, The next day, the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and begin to question them by what power or what name did you do this? And what I want you to see there is that this is the exact same people in the exact same court in very likely the exact same place that Jesus was tried. Okay? When it mentions the names of those who tried Jesus, it mentions Caiaphas. Okay? It's the same people. It's the, the same people that Jesus stood before, now Peter stands before. The same place that Jesus stood now Peter stands, okay? Peter is brought back to his place of greatest failure. And now, instead of being so scared, he's out in the courtyard, he's front and center. And, and, the, and, and I mean, the temperature's up, the fire's hot. Because Peter knows if he stands for Jesus on this day, he will most likely die. Okay, they killed Jesus. This is only about 10 weeks later. Okay, this is the first story after the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is in Acts 2. This story is in Acts 3 and 4. So Pentecost is 50 days plus however long between that and this. So you're talking a little more than seven weeks later, eight to ten weeks later, this takes place. This is a short period of time. The last time Peter was in this building, he was so scared he was cursing out serving girls to make them leave him alone. And now he stands before the judges. And they said, in what name did you do this? The last time he was there, he denied Jesus. And I want you to hear what he says this time. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Okay? Wow. I read that, and first off, for Peter, I'm just so happy. I'm just like, yes, he got it. And the Bible, you know, later it says that the, that the, the judges were astonished. They were like, aren't these uneducated? They're, they're basically like, they're supposed to be scared of us. Why isn't he scared of us? I don't know. And, and the, the judges are kind of, but, but the thing that just like in my heart makes me rejoice at this is the fact that, that he changed. That where he used to fail, now he's succeeding. And not just succeeding a little bit, but gloriously. Okay? Instead of striking out, he's hitting home runs in the same place with the same people in the same situation. And I look at my life and I think, if God can do that with Peter, he's the same guy. He still, he still does what he did. He doesn't change. And if, if I mean, they, they haven't built any statues of me yet, you know? So I, I'm guessing, like, maybe I haven't even failed this bad yet. Maybe, you know? So if God can change him, then maybe he can change me. And I want that. Like, you know, I want it for, I want it for, for myself. I want it for my family that has to deal with my failures even more than I do. I want it for, for the school and the ministry and the kids and our congregation. And, and the, you know, we're all responsible to, you know, it's not just us guys that get paid to be Christians that are responsible for their testimony. You know, it, it's everybody. You, we're all responsible to carry Jesus out there into that world. Man, our world is screwed up. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. You know, our, our world is telling everybody that sin is normal. And if you're living in a, a pure way that you're a weirdo. You know, and they're glorying in it. And and there's going to be so much wreckage. And we have the answers and we can't be quiet. And we're responsible to carry that out there every day. And so I read this and I'm like, okay, I can change too. And the question, the the question that I want to answer in these last few minutes is, well, what's the difference? What's the difference from Peter at the end of Matthew and Peter at the beginning of Acts? Where he goes from being a coward and prideful and kind of a, you know, not a very nice guy to being the, the great leader of the church and full of compassion and, you know, love and courage. Like, wh- what's the difference? And I, I think most of it, most of the difference boils down to something that happens in the book of John near the end. It's in John 21. And what happens is Peter has had his failure. And he's out fishing one day and he's gone back to the Galilee, he's gone back to his boats. The whole thing with Jesus, it seems like it was a wash. You know, it was three years of his life, and, and he served, and, and, and it was amazing, and he got to walk on the water, and he got to see all this stuff, but, but now Jesus is dead, and, and he blew it. And so he's out in a boat, and it's in John 21. If you look up in verse uh, 7, he's in the boat, and someone says, I think that's the Lord out on the shore. And this is what it says. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture. It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him and plunged into the sea. So basically, here's what happens. He, somebody says, I think that's Jesus on the shore. And he jumps out of the boat. He's like, I've got to get to him. I've got to get to him. I've got to fix this. And, and he, you know, and the Bible says, it, it carries on to say, um, it says, but since they were not far away, about a hundred yards, hundred yards is a long way to swim. Just, I mean, I don't know what, you know, for you guys, but I don't, when's the last time you swam a hundred yards anywhere, you know, but okay. It was just a hundred yards. So he's like, I'm out. And, and he jumps in. I think it's, 
you know, okay, so John's writing this years later, you know, and John was like the good kid and Peter was kind of the, the bad kid in a way in the family. And, and so John is writing and he, and he says, you know, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the fish. So John's like, we had to do all the work because Peter was off swimming and, you know, and, and you know, they were fishermen because later on it says we caught 153 fish that day. So like, yeah, this is real. The Bible's so real. And, and, and what's cool is that Peter just jumps in the water. And he swims as hard as he can go to get to Jesus. And, and the words of that conversation are not really recorded for us. But I got to believe that Peter got there and he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I blew it. I didn't listen. Can you forgive me? And, and, and again, that initial conversation, we don't know what was said by, but you know, when Peter first got to land in the boats. But, but we do know that Jesus... And it's so cool to see how our Lord is that Jesus makes these guys breakfast. This is the risen Lord of the universe. And he's cooking fish and eggs on the seashore, you know, and, you know, and it just shows his heart. He's so humble and he wants to serve and to help us. And, and he pulls Peter aside and he pulls Peter aside and, and you guys kind of know it. And I'll go quickly through it. And he says, you know, do you love me? I, okay. Jesus, Peter's like, yeah, feed my sheep. And then he says, again, do you love me? Yeah, then feed my sheep. And Peter's kind of looking, and, and then a third time he's like, do you love me? And finally Peter's mad. He's like, you know I love you. You know everything. He's like, okay, then feed my sheep. And, and so this is what I think. On this process of, of how did he change, the first thing I think has happened is he had, a, he had a meeting. He met a risen Jesus. If you want to change, the first step is that you've got to get a relationship with a risen Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's the first thing he did. And sometimes we want to run away because we're, we're ashamed. You know, we, we have people in our life that we've messed over. We've done bad stuff. And instead of going to him and fixing it, we try to run away. We're ashamed. I don't want to see him. I can't talk to him, you know. And, and instead he goes, he goes, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And he fixes it. And then Jesus talks to him and says, and I think the second thing is, this is when Peter gets his calling. And, he, and, and Jesus says, from now on, you're going to express your love to me by feeding my sheep. Okay, it's the great commandment. Okay, love God, love people, and you demonstrate your love for God by loving people. Okay, and, and he says, okay, so you understand how this works from now on. Do you love me? Yes. Then take care of these people. Your act of worship to me is you love these people. Got that, Peter? You're going to be the shepherd now. Feed my sheep. And he's like, yeah, I got it. Okay, let me be sure you got it again. Do you love me? Feed them. And he, he just hammers it home. And this is when Peter's given his calling. So, so the first thing that happens, he meets a risen Lord. And then he accepts that he has a calling, he has a responsibility from the Lord to, to be a pastor. And we all do to our families and people around us. Okay? And then the last thing, and we'll close on this, is you cannot miss the fact that when Peter is standing before that court, what your Bible says in Acts, it says that in being full of the Spirit, Peter said, okay, so know Jesus, accept his calling on your life, be full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that, that's his pattern of transformation. These are the things that happen to him. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. There's a place where Paul says, Paul says, don't be full of wine, but instead be full of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, what, what is Paul doing there? Why is he going to compare wine to the Holy Spirit? And here's why. Because 
if you get drunk on wine or any kind of alcohol, you, you fill your body up with it, right? So you've been drinking it. Now you're, you're, you're full of it. Now you're full of the alcohol, the wine. And it influences and it changes your behavior. And you do things you would not normally do. And in the case of wine and alcohol, that's not a good thing. Because you do things that are dumb that you would not normally have done. Okay? In the case of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you're going to do things you would not normally have done, but it's really, really good. Okay? And so Peter, on that day, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he has a little more courage than normal. He has a, he has a little more faith than normal, a little more peace than normal. And he's able to just step up and say, this is what happened. Okay? And it's the source of, of the change in him. Okay? Jesus calling Holy Spirit. Now, quickly, I want to run through. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what the Holy Spirit does in your life. One thing, he does a lot of things, but one thing. In Galatians 5, 22, 23, I think musicians are coming. It says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So I want you to get that. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, those things, and notice that it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit. You don't get to like be like, I think I'd like some love, but I don't really want any patience. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's all of them simultaneously growing in you. Another thing that I live, where I have um, grapevines in my yard. And I go out there sometimes because I like grapes. And in certain times of year, I'll, you know, I'll pick some of them to eat. And sometimes I just go out there and look at it. And you know something? Never once have I ever gone out by my grapevines and heard them going like, you know, and straining to produce fruit. I've never heard that from them. Not even once have I heard them straining. And every year they produce tons of fruit. And, and the point of that would just be if you abide in Christ, this just happens, okay? Now, we, we do have a certain element of work that we put in, but it's a natural byproduct of being near Jesus, okay? And the Holy Spirit gets in you. And, and you know, I, I know young Jameson struggled with self-control. Okay, young Jameson, man, and patience was probably on the list, and I hope I probably put all of them on the list. But, you know, I, I, my temper was too short, and I didn't do a very good job of, of just doing things on time in the right way. When, you know, the fact that I run a school is a joke from God. Like, it is, you know, like I never got to a class on time my entire college career, ever, I don't think. You know, and, and somehow the Lord's like, just like Peter, we're going to bring you back to a point of failure and, and make you get better at it. It's like, well, you're going to do this, and you're going to do it right, you know. And I have a master's degree now. I don't know where that came from either. But, but God makes you get better at things, okay? And, and that grows in you, and you have self-control, and, and, and you get in that moment of failure where, where you are going to, like, scream and yell at somebody or sin or whatever it is for you. And you're like, and, and you look at the Lord, and you say, I don't want to do this now. I want your Holy Spirit to fill me, because this is what the Bible says in Luke 11. Jesus says, which of your fathers... If your sons ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So all you got to do is ask, Lord, I want to be different. I want your Holy Spirit in me. Lord, I want a relationship with you so I don't have to be like this anymore. I want to live the way you said to live. And he will change you. You've got failing relationships, he'll help you fix them, okay? Struggling at work, he'll help you fix that. You know, just just all kinds of junk in your life. He will do it. He will change it. So what I want to do is I just want to close in prayer. And if you guys don't mind, you know, maybe kind of put your heads down and maybe close your eyes. Don't look around so much.
you know, I, you know, I, I would hate to give this kind of sermon and not, you know, at least give the opportunity to respond a little. I'm not going to call anybody for anything like that. I just would love to know if I could pray with you. Is there anybody out there who would be like, man, I just want to get to know Jesus. I want to enter a relationship with him just like Peter did. Would you just slip your hand up so we could pray for you? If that's out there, thank you. Thank you. We got a couple. We're going to pray with y'all today. And I'm sure they've got resources here and people that would love to help you on that journey. And you can put your hands down. We're going to pray for you guys. And I bet there's also all over this room people that like that like Peter, would, if, they, if they met Jesus, would want to repent a little. We're going to pray for that. And I know everybody in the room needs more of the Holy Spirit in their life to fix the stuff that just doesn't really work. So let's just, let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for, for some men in this room who said they want to know you. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I pray that as they start their walk with you, that you will let them know that they are forgiven and they're restored just as much as Peter was and that you love them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them this church as a family to to guide them in that and help disciple and grow them. And Lord, I pray for everybody in the room, including myself. Lord, we all blow it. We all have so many failures. We all have so many points where where we sin and we let people down. And God, I just pray for your, your forgiveness on those points. And Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us up. Lord, I want to be better. I want to be a better minister. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend to those around me. And Lord, I need more of your love and your patience and your kindness and and your joy and your self-control and your peace. And Lord, I, I pray that on my life, but also on the life of everyone gathered in this house, Lord, so that we can go out just like Peter and just hit home runs for your kingdom. And so the world will know and they'll know it's from you. Lord, we thank you for all that. In your name we pray. Amen.